I want to share just a couple things, um, though, from the conference that uh, just spoke to my heart, and, and I hope it'll speak to yours as well. Whenever I go to uh, Bethany World Prayer Center, I'm always, I'm always just amazed. I say to myself every time I go, I, 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 don't get your hopes up, Kevin. I, this conference couldn't eclipse the last one. It, it just couldn't be any better than the one you attended the year before. And the most amazing thing to me is, is that every time I go, it seems as if God eclipses that which he did before. And, and not only that, but every time I go, I go to the first session or, or the first main session, whatever it may be. And, and as soon as it's completed, I walk out and I'll always look at Trace and I'll say, you know what? We could pack up and go home right now because I don't know how you could outdo that service or that that moment i just don't know how you could do it but as you even go through the week it just it just it's like line upon line order upon order until finally it just it just blows you away and trace and i were sitting and we were having a meal and sort of talking about the things that god was saying to us and applying personally those things that he was saying and and then thinking how does it translate into the larger church life or body life and this is what I said. I said, now, honey, I tell you how I am. I come out of these things and I'm like a buzzsaw. And I come back and I'll come to church and I'll start teaching, preaching the people. And they're going to think that a Tasmanian devil has been loosed in their midst. You ever watch Bugs Bunny and that old Tasmanian devil, he just starts spinning and he's every which way. I mean, he's just a buzzsaw. Well, God bless you. I know sometimes when I come back from conference, you just get so filled up with God. I must be like a buzzsaw in your midst. And so I'm going to try not to be the buzzsaw. But there are some things that God just so dramatically, impactfully said that I'm going to do my best just not to come in and totally put you on tilt. But, but you know, for a pastor, can I just share this? For a pastor, when I go away like that, that's like my church. That's like me getting to go to church. And, and I know I sit down for three days, but you got to realize you got morning and evening services, you got things in the afternoon, and, and you've got three days of just being, you know, just hammered and spoken to, and, and, and I don't know how you would, you know, compare that to, you know, maybe church life Sunday after Sunday, but, but that's my church, and so I, I come out and I'm buzzed and, and, and refreshed and refueled and, you know, heard what God was saying, and so many things were confirmation and validation and so that's always an encouraging thing, but it's also something you want to share with people. And so I want to share a little bit with you this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to read just a couple verses um, that were not used at conference, but just were quickened into my mind. And uh, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to read the first two verses, then I'm, then I'm going to jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And many of you know that Timothy was the young pastor there at the church of Ephesus. He, he was pastoring a large church, probably the largest church that had been known up to that point, probably 25,000 people who were believers, attached themselves to the church at Ephesus in a city of probably 100,000, so 25% of the city, somewhere in there probably related to that local church and paul writes to timothy and i'm sure timothy is learning he's gleaning he's he's trying to get all the the revelation and information and training that he can get as he's pastoring sort of on the run 
And Paul just puts some things out here that I think are important that I just want to read out to you. They are not obscure passages. I'm quite sure most of you would know these verses as I read them to you. First Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly or explicitly says that in latter times, how many of you know that's now? You say, how do you know these are the latter times? Because it's latter than when Paul wrote to Timothy. That, that much I do know. He says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Wow. He says there are going to be some, you need to understand that this, that they're going to walk away from what they know to be as true. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Let me just make a couple comments here before we turn to 2 Timothy 3. Basically what Paul says is, is that he says there's going to be a departing from that which had been taught. There's going to be a departing from that which was considered to be foundational and orthodox. There was going to be a departing from that which was considered to be true and important. In fact, it will not only be departed from, but there's going to be a twisting to it. There's going to be a hypocrisy to it. There are going to be those who may think they're in the faith, but nonetheless, they're not in the faith because they've given over to a deceiving spirit. In fact, it has reached such proportion, Paul says to Timothy, that actually in their conscience area, there's a searing or a cauterization that has begun to take place. And this is really what the scary part is with this word. It, 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 it is a cauterization of such a proportion, and I don't know if you've ever met somebody that's been cauterized, but if you have, let me share this with you. It's, it takes an act of God to break it. I mean, you can just, it's just like you can see this blindness or this deception that comes over the eyes. And he says in latter times, you need to understand that's what's going to be a feature of that day. Now in 2 Timothy 3, again, they aren't exactly encouraging words. But it's important that we know the era that we live in. Amen? You all can sing songs and play shuffleboard and the Titanic can be sinking. And you can have a good time while the ship's going down. But if we're wise, we'll awaken. Second Timothy 3.1, he writes again, But know this, that in last days, perilous times or fierce times, difficult times, Dangerous, painful, grievous, hard to deal with, times will come. Is there anyone else in the room but me that has felt that in the day we live in, there have been moments of fierce, grievous, hard to deal with, painful times that we have to walk through? He goes through an incredible list of indictments and attributes of these last days ending somewhat in verse 5 by saying having a form everyone say form having a form of godliness or having a form of religion having a form of spirituality but it denies its power now i preached this years ago from the standpoint of so many churches not wanting to embrace the power of God with regards to healing or deliverance and these sorts of things. And I am quite sure that that's an appropriate application of that particular passage. But I've come to the conclusion in recent days that it's not so much that people have a hard time with the miraculous. It's not that we have a difficult time anymore thinking that God wants to prosper us or heal us or help us or give us a little joy or open up a door to destiny. 
I really don't think that's the issue anymore. As a matter of fact, I think you can go to a Baptist church, an Episcopalian church, Catholic church. I think you can go to mainline, a parachurch. You can go to just about any local body gathering of believers, and you're going to hear messages about all the good things God can do for you. I mean, it doesn't matter who the teacher is on the television set. You're going to hear something with regards to the power of God and how it can make a difference in, in blessing you or, or in somehow giving you all the things that you always hoped you had. And I, again, I believe that's probably an appropriate part of that passage. But I'm convinced in the era we're living in that that, that passage also must apply to this, that, that there is coming a generation and is even on the earth now that is embracing what they call with their mouth Christianity, but they don't buy into the power that can change their life. They don't buy into the power that can turn them around and clean them up and set them free and make them different. We're, we're in an era that says, well, I'll just ask forgiveness. And they ask forgiveness over and over and over again. And praise God, he forgives and he gives second, third, fourth, tenth chances. I'm glad that we serve a God like that. But there's a moment we got to get a hold of the fact that there's a power in God that can break our form and give us reality. Amen. I want the real deal. I didn't sign up for a sideshow, for hype, or for faking it. You know, there's a group that fakes it till they make it. I don't want to fake it. I, I want the real deal. But the era we live in is dysfunctional. And we just need to come to grips with that. So, so our generation, listen to me now, is going to minister in the midst of dysfunction. I often said, Lord, this is how I used to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be transparent. Is it okay if I'm just honest? I, I used to pray. I said, Lord, could you send me somebody that just has it all together? That's got things kind of in order already. They won't take a lot of energy or effort, but they're just, they've got it all together so, so we could kind of get a run on things. And you know what? That ain't going to happen. And excuse my English, because ain't nobody got it together. We live in the midst of dysfunction. In fact, it's just a matter of degree more than matter of whether or not it exists. And so as I was sitting listening to all that was being ministered to us, and again, you're going to hear some of this, and again, probably later on down the road, but I want to share just a couple of bullet points that I think is good for us as a congregation. I was listening to, listening to Pastor Stockstill, and he came out that first night, and he said that he was on a plane, and God spoke to him, and the Holy Spirit said these words. He said, I am going to shake America. I'm going to shake America. And he said, I'm going to start by shaking the pastors. He said, that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to shake them up first. And he said, if, if the pastors receive the shaking, America will be spared. And as many of you know, maybe some of you do not know, but he was on the Apostolic Council that gave oversight to Ted Haggard and New Life Church there in Colorado Springs. And he shared with pastors that were there, and I'll not share all of these details, but he shared some interesting insight with regards to that. But one of the things that he threw out there to us that I think it's important for you to remember are these words. He reminded us that Satan is strategic. Now, now never forget that. Satan is strategic in how he comes to ensnare us. He is patient. 
He is timely. Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He certainly is there trying to do his best to mess your life up. But it's interesting that a lot of times he will let you go for a while in order that he can be strategic with your fall. In other words, he doesn't want you just to fall, but if he can get you to fall strategically, wow, it can be just far more worse and produce far more carnage. Isn't it interesting that it was just a few weeks before the November election that Pastor Ted Haggard was ensnared and it was unveiled? Isn't that interesting that that Satan will always wait for the greatest moment, the strategic moment in order to get us? Well, the Holy Spirit is trying to get all of our attentions. James Robinson had a vision and he said that in this vision, God showed him that unless something dramatic and drastic began to take place in our nation, that he envisioned an America with no electricity and an economy that was bankrupt. Can you imagine? You see, we are, we are consumed in the era that you and I live in with this thought that somehow the good times will just keep rolling. And somehow or another, the market will just keep going up and Everything in life will just keep being good and America will always be a superpower and we'll always have more nuclear weapons than anyone else. And we're just we're just living in sort of a daze that we think it can just keep on going the way it's going. And it has numbed us and dulled us to the point where we have finally said that what has happened in our life must just uh, be be. Uh, continuing to happen if it's good and things are great and we're getting it our way and it just it's just going to keep right on rolling and i'm just here to tell you it is in so many people's spirits that we have got to in the church and do you know that the church is god's hope in the earth the local church is god's organization and design in order to bring salt into the earth and provide the covenant which stays his hand of judgment And he is compassionate, yes. And God is love, yes. God is merciful, yes. But I'm telling you, God is justice and God is holiness and he's full of truth. And I'll just say it. When the Oscars puts a lesbian on to host it, and we've got people in the church even that'll sit around and just chuckle along. Do we, do we not need a wake-up call in some ways? Something's wrong when righteousness is odd. You know, we live in a day that you, you want to live righteously and you're just looked at as odd. When everybody's, you know, when everybody's sucking down their drink and, and you're looked at and say, do you want, do you want something to drink? Do you want, you know, do you, do you want your tall one? Do you want your, do you want your mixed drink or whatever it is? And you look and you say, no, thank you. I just, I don't do that. You're looked at as odd. Well, I know that's your view, Pastor. Well, I'm here to tell you something. Righteousness. Righteousness isn't just the minimum daily adult requirement that you get by with. I understand. I understand you go through the scripture and I'll have people run up to me and go, well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Well, dear God, we've got, we have a stomach, we have stomach issues, the likes of which in America... We think righteousness is out of date. Well, we live in a new day. Well, we're crazy. 
And I'm just here to tell you, folks, a big crowd will not stop God's hand of judgment. God stopped his hand when he found a covenant with salt with Abraham. Abraham started bartering with God. Remember that story when God said, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham says, if I find 50, will you stay your hand for 50? God says, well, if you can find it, I'll stay it. Well, then Abraham comes back and says, 45, 40, you know, 35, 30. Finally, he whittles it down to 10. And God says this, if you'll find just 10 righteous men, I will spare the city. Listen to me, folks. God will do more with a few than he will with the crowd if the few are really after him. Jesus never really cared about who followed him as long as they carried their cross. Isn't it interesting? There was a time as he broke bread and fed the multitudes of over 5,000 because there were wives and children there as well. Isn't it interesting that that wasn't the group that changed the world? It was just a small group, a few, that got it in their system about the cross, about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And they were the ones that he was able to use in order to reach the world. But we've got to understand that we are living in a day and age where we as a society are dysfunctional. We are dysfunctional. We just need to be honest and admit it. We are dysfunctional. We are half crazy. Lunatic. I mean nuts. Because we just, we go on and think that there is no repercussion. No repercussion with God with regards to what we're doing. And if you are on the true disciple uh, email loop how many of you are on the true disciple email loop you get uh, if you're not on the true disciple email loop make sure you you give me your e-address back there at the information center and we will get you on that but but i was so impacted by these five dysfunctions that pastor sock still shared about that i, I want to just touch on them again this morning and if you're on the loop and you haven't pulled it up those notes are there waiting for you some of you did i just put it in synopsized form but there are a couple things I just want to add to it. There are five dysfunctions. And, and I'm going to leave you with the dysfunctions. Here's the good news. This week on that email loop, I'm going to give you the cure. So we won't leave you too long just living in dysfunction. All right? But five dysfunctions that we just need to get a hold of, be honest about. And once they're on the table, then God can begin to deal with them, work with them. And then we can be restored and do what God's called us to do. Number one, the first dysfunction is the church is unfathered. The church is unfathered. What do I mean by that? The Bible says that there are 10,000 teachers, but not many fathers. We have all sorts of people that can instruct the word, but, but God is looking for those that will be dads and moms in the faith. You know, it's interesting that when you read the Bible, Paul never spoke of a crowd. He spoke of sons. He wanted sons. There were daughters in the ministry. That's why there were mothers in Israel. You see, the truth is, America doesn't need another motivator. They don't need another spiritual, spiritualized, kind of smiley motivator. What we need are some moms and dads. That's really what we need in the church. We need spiritual fathers again. We need someone that can look us in the eye and, and say, you know what? This, this is the way we walk in it. I do that in my house. I've looked at my sons and I've looked at my daughter. And there have been moments we've had disagreements. There have been times that the children... I've had a legitimate point, and I've had to say, yep, you're right, and uh, I've had to apologize, not been often, and I probably should have done it more. But there are those moments when I know I'm right, I know this is what needs to be done, 
and it doesn't make sense. They don't get it. Maybe they don't have enough experience. They don't have enough understanding. There's not enough revelation. I've got a few more things under the belt than they've got, even though they don't believe it. And sometimes you just say, you do it because dad said so. And you know, it's that way in the church. Because I'll tell you right now, people will listen to a pastor preach in churches, not just ours. In fact, we probably do better than most. But there are those churches all over America that the pastor preaches. And I'll tell you right now, people will pick and choose what they want to hear and what they don't want to hear. And I'll take that and I'll leave that. And well, you know, pastor, (laughs) bless his heart. That's his opinion on that one. Well, you know what? That's probably part of the reason God wants to get pastors back where they need to be because in their mind they know they want to say something that will make you feel good and tickle your ear i want you know more than anything i'd like to be my son's best friend i would love that i would love to be my son's best friend he doesn't need another best friend he needs a dad are you with me and i I, i'll look at clay and say there have been times i've been a good one times i hadn't been such a great one in the natural You don't don't need someone that's just going to be your best friend. You need a spiritual dad, a spiritual mom. We all do. I need a spiritual dad and a spiritual mom in our life. And I'm just telling you, the natural betrays the spiritual. We've got a generation of moms and dads that are trying to be their kid's best friend and not make them angry and upset. And if I say anything to them, they'll stomp upstairs and slam the door at me. You don't slam the door in the Barrett household. We'll be in that room that quick. It doesn't work. We've made them go back downstairs, walk back up, and shut that door again. That is not how it works, though, in the day and age we live in. Oh, dear God, my daughter, my son will be mad at me. Well, good. They need to be irritated with you every now and then. If you're speaking truth to them, you're not trying. You're not sitting here strategizing how to screw up their life. You're trying to keep them from driving off a cliff. And I know they don't see it. I know they're 15, 16 years old and the aggregate knowledge of the universe resides in that body. I understand they know all, see all. They're, they're far more wise than their moms and dads are. I understand you, you are, you are the answer and you have the knowledge to everything and mom and dad are absolutely clueless. I understand how that teenage brain works because that's how my teenage brain worked. But the older I get, the more I'm finding out that my mom and dad weren't nearly as dumb as I thought they were. And I'm here to tell you that pastor, the spiritual dad and mom, uh, they are nearly as dumb as some people think they are. And you know what? I'm here to tell you this, that what vindicates is time. Oh, you may not get it today, and sometimes you don't. When you're 16, you don't always get it. But you'll get it when you're about 32, 35, 40. You'll start getting it. And you'll go, whoa, now I understand why dad did that. Wow. Someday you'll get it. But, but the church is unfathered. That's why we're dysfunctional. Because we want everybody to smile and be happy, jump up and down and clap and tell me something I want to hear. Don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. Because even if you say it, I'm not going to receive it anyway. Because I'm just going to go do what I want to do. You're fatherless. You're motherless, and you're heading for a cliff. Number two, oh, I didn't even expect to say all that. Larry, Larry Stocksell didn't say everything I just said there, by the way, either. He just, some of that was mine. Number two, the church is unaccountable. It's unfathered, and it's unaccountable. We all do better with someone in our life that can look at us, at least from time to time, and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You aren't doing what... 
you were assigned to do. You aren't doing what you were asked to do. You aren't doing what you should do. Why is that bad? Why is that? You know why that, that's bad? It's because, it's because we don't want any fetters on us at all. I'm trying to figure out, this is what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out how I can get a dad that can do that a whole lot more in my life. I, I've, I've got a father that can do it some, but I'm trying to figure out, because you know what? By God's grace, you aren't going to see me be Ted Haggard or Jimmy Swaggart or Jim Baker. I am not going to be a casualty by God's grace. I, I, don't, I do not plan to be that. But I'm smart enough to know this, that if these guys who are as gifted and as skilled and as talented can take a run off the cliff like that, and Satan is good enough to strategically nail them, then I am toast unless I've got wisdom and God talking to me and doing the things that need to be done. So I'm just here to tell you, I, I, I'm not preaching just to you. I'm, I'm preaching to me too. He was talking to pastors at the time, by the way. Number three, the church is unfruitful. The church is unfruitful. We like to be entertained. I enjoy when I share with you to make you chuckle or laugh, it's always nice to come to church and have a little humor in, interjected and, and to be able to enjoy what's going on and, and to do all the things to receive, to be instructed, to be edified, to be built up. But can I just share this with you? We've got to start being fruitful. It's time to be fruitful. It, 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 it's time to, to quit figuring out just how to be a friend and try to figure out how to, how to be a conduit that God can use to talk to people, reach people, and see that they're born again, delivered, set free, filled with God. Can I just ask you, when was the last time? I'm not picking on you because I'm asking myself. When was the last time you just sat down next to somebody you didn't know and just started up a conversation and just talked to them and shared your faith? I'm not asking you just to do the you know Kennedy plan of evangelism or... I'm not asking you to be Ray Comfort. I'm just saying, when was the last time you just shared your faith? Talk to someone about Jesus. Just give the Lord a chance to cause you to be fruitful. I'm not, listen, I know all of a sudden it gets quiet because we say to ourselves, but I'm going out there. I understand, but out there is what needs what's going on in here. I understand you've brought your dysfunctions, but... They've got dysfunctions, and at least you've got a couple steps on them. So we need to understand that we're being unfruitful. Unfruitful. We've got, to, we've got to begin to see that people are hurting. They need the Lord, and we need to bear fruit. Number four, the church is unhealed. The church is unhealed. I mean, we've got, we've got, we've got our own issues even in the life of the body of christ we're just unhealed this encounter we're, i'm going to spend some time on the first session i know most of you that have come to encounter you hear the prodigal story you've heard jacob and uh, of course those stories will be used as our springboard but i'm going to share with you a little bit about uh those stories with regards to how a lot of us carry wounds from a father we carry father wounds and a lot of times, father wounds are what the enemy uses in order to cause us dysfunction with our heavenly father. And it's time we just sort of owned up to it, I'm quite sure. And again, I'll just sit here. My, my, my prayer has been, oh God, help me to father my sons and my daughter in such a way that they don't have to spend umpteen hours at encounters, you know, getting sick, vomiting in a, you know, Kentucky fried chicken bucket because of my mess ups. 
Now, I'm quite sure there's going to be healing that's going to have to be done because I'm a human being. I'm, uh, you know, persuaded by the carnal and anger and all the other things that can happen. But we've got to reach the place where we want to live functionally and understand that a lot of what we've received has not been functional and we need to be healed. How can we go out and help heal somebody when we're not healed and when we're dodging it and when we're trying to shake out of it? And, and, we, and we just, we need a place. Can we just call this safe place? Let's just call this light zone. Let's just call this just a place where you can come and you don't have to fake it. You don't have to be phony. Let's just call it a zone where you're going to be allowed to get before God and be able to cry out, heal me. Heal me. I need to be healed. The church is unhealed. We go to church, we get our cappuccino, we hear our motivational talk, we let our kids go to Disneyland downstairs, and we walk out screwed up. I'm sorry. You say you're jealous. No, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm burdened that, that there's a world that needs the cross. That's their answer is the cross. You know why, you know why healing, let me just say this, you know why healing and salvation are all summed up in the cross? Is it not true that everybody needs to be saved, right? I mean, that's, that's just good theology. Everyone needs to be saved. But we both know, we all know that both salvation and healing are found in the cross. And we, and we all know, I would hope we would know, that, that salvation is available, it just needs to be appropriated. Healing is available, it just needs to be appropriated. We should know that. But the reason those two, I think, are almost synonymous, especially if you study the original word sozo, which not only means to save, but it means to make whole or, or, or to bring healing. The reason I believe Jesus summed all of that up was, is that he knew you not only needed eternal life, but you needed healing. You needed to be whole. Not just to get over your sinus infection or, 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 or the heart condition or the cancer. I mean, those things are important. But you need to be healed as a human being. Do you not think that thousands of years of, of sin have not taken its toll on us? Are, are we so blind and deceived and dysfunctional to think that somehow or another we have escaped the need to be healed? I don't think so. I've been walking with God since I've been 18 years old. And I'm finding out my 47th year of existence that there are more healing issues that I need to come to terms with than I even knew about when I was 19. Now, I'm not saying I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm just saying if I'm in the book as much as I'm in the book and if I'm trying to seek God as much as I'm trying to seek God, I'm just kind of doing the statistical work. Folks, you're not fooling anybody. Are you with me? Now, I'm not saying it to jump your case. I'm saying it because God loves you and says there's an answer. You don't have to go through the motions. But we're unhealed. And then finally, number five, we're untaught. The church is untaught. One has said that a lot of places are a mile wide and they're an inch deep. We just don't know the Bible anymore. I mean, you'll hear people say, you know, well, you know what the Bible says? God helps them who helps themselves. Well, I know the word says cleanliness is next to godliness. We, we don't know the word. Now, those are kind of funny things, but it's interesting. It's interesting in the day we live in, you can have people who will say they're born again and people who know uh, who will who will say that they believe the book and they'll be orthodox in their doctrine and yet they'll run around and commit every conceivable sin full of knowledge 
And, I, you know, I'll give them, I'll just, I guess I'll let them off the hook and just say, you must not have been taught. Well, I'll teach you this morning. Fornication is wrong. I'll just tell you right now. If you're having sex outside of a marriage covenant, you're wrong. You're just wrong. It's wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. I don't care if, I don't care if it's not politically correct. It's wrong. God says so. I, I, I mean, there are just certain things that are wrong. Lying's wrong. Cheating's wrong. It's wrong. And and I guess it's because we've just not been taught good enough. Let me go through for another one. Horoscopes. They're wrong. I want to think of something else that just would aggravate somebody right now. Gossiping's wrong. I'll say gluttony's wrong. Sure it is. Come on. There's some things that are just plain wrong. Wrong. And someone's got to say it's wrong. But it's because we're untaught, which is why the dysfunction continues. Because all we've been taught is, is that God forgives and that we're under grace. And, and unfortunately, they only get half of the under grace part. They only get the half that says that God winks at them and says it's going to be okay. They don't get the part that says that grace empowers them to live above what's dragging them down. We have got to break dysfunctionality. We not only have to break dysfunctionality in our own lives or whatever dysfunctionality exists within the life of the body, but folks, there's a world that's dysfunctional, and I'm telling you, we live in a nation that's dysfunctional that needs somebody to declare the truth. And if we don't do it, the the life and quality of life we now enjoy may not always be here. And you can walk out and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a positive confession person. Well, I am too. I'm positive America won't make it. If we don't get a hold of some of these things. Now, I believe we have a destiny. I believe we have a future. I believe we have a promise. But God's not opening up those doors when we're sitting there mired in our chains and our dysfunctionality. He's just not going to do it. And so God's raising up. I'm telling you, he is going to raise up churches. They may not be the largest, but they're going to be powerful. And they're going to bring people to the cross. And they're going to proclaim the truth to them. And they're going to lead them to true victory. And we're not just going to pat people on the back and tell them it'll all be okay. Put your tithe in the box and we'll see you next week. We're going to start proclaiming the power of the cross. To see people really set free. We got to reconnect to the harvest. We got to reconnect to what the commission and the call is. I'm telling you, I'm like a buzzsaw right now. And I know some will say, well, he'll calm down. Give him a week, he'll calm down. I hope I never calm down. Amen. Tell you what, let's do. Everybody stand right now. What little gas I had left in the tank, I think I just let it go. So, Tell you what let's do. You can remain standing. This is, this is, this is going to be an interesting invitation just right now. Because I, I, I want to I pray. I just want to pray. Can we do that? Can we just pray? You may have a need and, and, and maybe something I said kind of. You know, it was quickened in you and God's using that to remind you that there are issues that you've got to deal with before the Lord. And that's great. And I'm glad this weekend could be an opportunity if you take advantage of it to maybe maybe deal with that. 
But this morning, I'll tell you what I want to do. I, instead of being in a position of hospital, I want to be in the position of intercessor this morning. I, I want us to pray. I want to ask you this question. I don't, I, you may not think you're much. You may not think you have anything to offer the Lord. You may not think that, you know, you've got opportunity, open doors. I, it just doesn't matter at this particular moment. I believe that probably most, the vast majority of the folks in here, I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not perfect. But I would say a lot of us are maybe a step or two ahead of the rest of the dysfunctional world. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have our issues. But it does mean this, that we've got a responsibility that as we're walking out our wholeness and our healing, we need, we need to be pulling some others. Instead of always sliding back to where they are, it's time to start pulling people to where we are. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be pulled back. I know there are folks that will say, well, you know, it doesn't seem like their message is as rugged or as pointed or as sharp. That church doesn't seem to just do like Legacy does. You know, Pastor Baird, he shaves pretty close. It's because I'm not trying to emulate that. I'm trying to pull people to the cross. Come on, this is the answer. I, I know Jesus didn't give his life just so we could have cappuccino. Jesus didn't give his life just so we could, you know, have the greatest technology light show with smoke machines. I'm not against those things. I, I think they have their place. But that's not what Jesus died for. He died to set people free. He died to set people in order. He died to give us a shot at living life abundantly. He gave his life for that. And listen to me. He calls you and he calls me to lay our life down. I'm not laying my life down for silly, stupid stuff anymore. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to die. I don't want to, I don't want to lay my life down for the work of the gospel just so you can say, well, I got a crowd. Whoop-dee-ding-dong. It's time you laid your life down for something that counted. And that was seeing somebody who was enslaved and chained and broken and bound that got free. Free. I'll give my life to that. I'll give my life to that. I'm not giving my life to the crowd out there that's just gonna, they just want, they just, they're just jacking around in the kingdom. They go and, you know, they'll, they'll go after work. I'm sorry. They'll go after work and they'll have their martinis and they'll do all that and they'll be so high society and they'll do all that. And look, see, we, we identify with the sinner. You don't identify with anybody. They are laughing at you. They're laughing at you. And they're saying you're no better than we are. We need to pray. It's like all of a sudden the whole, I'm just like possessed here for just a moment by God. We need to pray. Can I make, I'm going to make a confession right now. I, re, I repent right now before you. We have not prayed like we've needed to pray. I want you guys to know in this section and in this section, in this section and in this section. You say, well, what, what do you mean, pastor? You don't pray? No, I pray. I prayed for you. I'm repenting for the fact that we don't pray like we need to pray because I'm here to tell you, unless God shows up, we are, we are not taking our city. We need to arise again and say, is Charleston worth interceding for? Is the place that you call home worth interceding for, praying for, believing for? Is it worth walking 
down sidewalks and streets? Is it worth going into malls and just interceding under your breath in the spirit? Yes, I said it in the spirit. Because we're going to need the Holy Ghost in order to do some of these things. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know what? I'm not trying. I'm not trying to see how I can be absorbed in the culture. I think it's time we tried a new tactic. Let's just try being outlandish and Christian. Let's see how that works. But it's going to start when we pray. I'm not asking you to come and repent or do anything but intercede. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray more. I'm just telling you, we're going to pray more, and we're going to pray more, and we're going to pray more. I'm asking God to put on me the spirit of prayer. I'm, that's, I, some of you already have it. I appreciate it. And let me just say this. I love this book. I teach this book. I know this book backwards and forwards. There's probably not a verse you couldn't throw at me that I couldn't give you the reference right back to you. I'm happy that I've spent years knowing the book. It is time we knew God. It is time now we prayed. It is time we got on our faces and we cried out and we said, Oh Lord, work on us. Change us. Change our city. He can do it. He can do it. I don't want to be the only buzzsaw. I want about 200 buzzsaws going out these doors. And people looking at you saying, what, what's, what are you on? Just say, I just got a new jolt of Holy Ghost. I'm believing that things are going to change. This city's going to be changed. The Spirit of God has hovered over Charleston for years. Listen to me. Revelation's about ready to hit you right now. The Spirit of God, just like in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God has hovered over Charleston for years, just like He hovered over creation. We don't know how long the Spirit of God hovered over creation. Maybe He hovered a year, a hundred years, a thousand years, maybe a million years. I don't know. I'm not here to debate how long the Spirit hovered over creation. But I know this. It wasn't until God spoke that things started moving and happening. And the Spirit of God, I know, I know some of you know the Spirit of God has hovered over Charleston, South Carolina for years. For years He's hovered. But it is time that we began to speak what God is saying. We intercede what God has spoken. And we not let go till He creates in this our Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. Are you with me? I'm telling you, God wants to do something. Are you ready to be a part of that? we got to intercede. So this is what I want to ask you to do right now. In these few moments we have left, I either want you to come. You can come if you want to the front and kneel. You can remain standing where you are. You can turn and kneel at your seat. But I want you to get in a position that you're ready to get serious for about the next few moments about praying. I'll let you go in time for what you need to do. But I want you to come. If you're coming forward, you find you get yourself in a praying posture and position. Come on, and we're going to begin to seek God right now. We're going to begin to seek God right now. Find that place right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You ready to pray? You ready to intercede? 
Intercession means you're, you're, you're going to jump in the gap. You're going to begin to stand for something right now. Hallelujah. Lord, right now, in these last moments, and Lord, we're going to spend a lot more time. Lord, I just commit to you. Somehow, some way, we can't maybe organize everything, but Lord, we're going to get serious about praying and standing in the gap and being that covenant of salt and beginning to intercede for our city. And Lord, it's not just a place that has city limits or a defined geography, but we're talking about people that need you, people that need the cross, people that need to be set free, people that need Lord, truth to come in order that they might be loosed from where they are. Lord, we intercede right now for co-workers. We intercede right now for friends, for schoolmates. Lord, we intercede right now for the next generation and our children and our children's children. Lord, we lift them up to you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we intercede for the nameless and the faceless. Lord, we pray right now that you would begin, Lord, to not just hover over this, our city, but that you would begin to break through and shed light upon us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would begin to open up the floodgates and send forth your spirit that would empower us, Lord. Empower us to break, to break the beguiling, deceiving work of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we would begin to break the hypocrisies that Lord, we would begin to, we would begin to melt and see melting the searing of the consciences in Jesus' name. That there might be, Lord, that fresh opportunity, that fresh awareness, Lord, that would come and begin to manifest itself and make itself known. I pray, Lord, we agree together. Lord, we come as a congregation right now, fully admitting that we've got our dysfunctionalities. Lord, we do not come as those who are somehow somehow better than. We do not come as those who somehow can offer up ourselves as the example. But Lord, we simply, as your people, repent and humble ourselves. And we pray. We pray, Lord, that as you're working on us. And Lord, your word says that judgment begins at the house of God. So we understand that we'll not escape your hand. So, Lord, work on us. Cause us, Lord, to have a, an honesty, a transparency that lets you into the deepest of places that you will begin to, Lord, change us and free us and, Lord, give us fresh revelation of the cross, which is our only hope. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you can do this. Lord, we don't wallow in it, but we, we begin to thank you that this is a possibility. Lord, that it's a possibility and a promise for each one of us. It's a promise for our city. That this city, Charleston, which is known as the holy city, Lord, can live up to its name. That you can do a work that will break through the religion and the facade and the forms of godliness. Lord, that deceive. That you can break through it and bring reality and substance and power and life. Lord, let it begin to happen right now. And Lord, we just agree. We're just a, we're just a covenant of salt here. We're not much. We don't have mighty numbers. We're just Gideon's army. 
But Lord, we're available. Lord, we're open for those opportunities. Infuse us, cause us to be those buzz saws, Lord. That you'll work in and do some incredible things in. Hallelujah. Let's begin to pray. If you can pray right now, I want you to begin to pray. I want somebody right now to begin to just cry out and call out. Come on now. We need to call out unto God as a people. There needs to be a rumble right now in the house. Come on, open up your mouth and begin to call out to God and cry out to God for your families. Cry out to God for your for your family tree, for your city. Cry out to God. Come on, lift up your voice, all ye people. Pray in understanding. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. Come on now. There needs to be a noise, a noise that shatters the darkness. Come on, let's shatter the darkness. Come on now, don't you, don't you wane and wax. Come on, put some energy. Rise up right now, people of God. Intercede. People are dying. People are hurting. They're bound. They're wounded. They need the power of the cross. Come on, let's keep it up. Let's just keep it up. We're going to sing, but I'm going to keep praying. You keep praying right now. Hey, I need my, I need my drummers. My drummers. Come on. If I got some singers. Come on, let's go. We're going to lift up a noise and we're going to sing and intercede right now. We're going to sing and intercede right now. Listen to me now real quick. Come on, we're okay. It's not noon yet. We're all right. Hey, let, let me tell you, you want God to set someone free? What if, what if God wants to set someone free at 1201? I know I'm long-winded. I know. I know, but let, come on now, let's get, let's get our worldview changed here. The reason we sing, Ephesians 3.10 says that we're making declaration to powers and principalities in heavenly places. We're making a declaration in the spirit realm that this city will be unlocked. That blind eyes will be opened and deaf ears will be unstopped. That no longer, no longer will there be a generation that will escape. But this generation will see and will hear of the glory of God. And you need to get it in your spirit. Come on now, get it in your spirit. You gotta, you gotta sing it till you get it. You gotta say it till you believe it. That God, God will bring you to the place where it will be different. So come on, we're going to lift our voice up. I know we don't have all day, but we've got long enough. Let's do it right now. Open the blind eyes. Hey, listen. Can she do that in about 60 seconds? Come here, Mary. Come here. Now, 
I want you to share what you just saw, but I want you to underscore that war. That's what lit in me, the war. Um, I saw, um, as we were all praying, that our... The vision I saw was a cloud, like smoke, like in San Francisco, when the fog rolls in. That's the enemy trying to blanket the city of Charleston. And as we were praying, just us right here, our voices were blowing the fog away. It was rolling, rolling it away. And the Holy Spirit said it was a tension because it was coming back. It wasn't going to just run away. There was a tension there. And the Lord said that just as we were praying just now, that's what's going on. It's blowing it away. But we have to continue to pray for the rest of this day and every single minute that we have consciousness or even in our sleep, we need to pray because it will flee. It will go away. And that word that you said. Yes. Yes, war. Father, we war right now in the name of Jesus. We understand that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses and fog. And Lord, right now, we enter into that war. We enter into that battle. Lord, we don't, we don't look for rationality. We look for spiritual keys that will take us through. So we rise up in the name of Jesus and begin to war right now. You ready? Hallelujah. We're not quite done. We're not quite done. Almost, but not quite. Almost. Hang tough. Hang tough. I want you to see a generation that's going to come in right now. Come on, guys. You come on down. Come on. Come on down. Come on. Come on. Come on down. Mm, yes. Come on down. We're just singing. That's all we're doing. I know. I, I know you have no clue as to what we're doing. But we're going to sing. And we're going to sing over a generation before we go. Hey, if I still got teenagers, I need teenagers too. Come on, some teenagers. Come on down. Come on. Come on. Come on, you can do this. Open. Now listen, listen to me, and, and, and I'm, I'm closing right now. I break in the name of Jesus. Just a good, it was a, boy, that was a good service. Listen. Hey. And I'd rather have a good service than a bad one. But we got to break the mentality, boy. Wasn't that a good service? We, we have just begun to unlock something in the heavenly realm. And let me tell you, Satan's patient, and he's tenacious, and he's strategic. But in the name of Jesus, I scatter those plans, and I declare over the people of God, divine strategy, divine empowerment, and faithfulness. I speak over the people of God, spiritual tactics of war, that will cause you to use this moment, not just as a good service or something that just buoys you up, but there's something in you that says, I'm going for it all. I'm going for the whole deal. Not just a moment, I'm going for it all. 
Very few generations have done that. I believe you could. I'm going to. I really want you to come. I really do. So Lord, I pray right now, as we, as we have to wrap up this day, Lord, I pray we don't wrap up the revelation or wrap up the moment. But that, Lord, we would spring from this into tomorrow and through next week. And that, Lord, we wouldn't let it go to the moment we come into the house of God, even next Sunday. And there's something in us that says today's our day. Today's our day. We push back that fog again until it finally dissipates. We refuse to grow weary in well-doing. We refuse. But Lord, we stay tenacious in order to see our city brought to you. Lord, we believe that blind eyes are opening right now. We believe that deaf ears are unstopping right now. Lord, we believe that something significant has shifted in the heavenly realm. And we're not going back. So Lord, thank you right now that it's going to make a difference. You're going to manifest that victory in people's lives. Lord, we pray for our city. We pray for others. But Lord, I, I pray right now for this people that you would bring freedom and liberty and victory and triumph to each one of them. That they would not feel alone in uh, what they're endeavoring to do for you, but that, Lord, you would be working in them in order that it might not be something that they do, but something that it's just natural. Lord, let it be so. I release them this day with a great blessing. Bless us, Lord, as we go our separate ways. May we be counted faithful in your fields. And may the dysfunction, Lord, that we talked about begin its breaking today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Amen. You can hug each other, shake each other's hands, fellowship. But man, keep the spirit, the spirit of what God's doing. All right. Amen. You're released. God bless you. We'll see you next week.